Numbers on the boards. My name is Bobby Corella, digital content manager for the Dallas Mavericks. Joining me today is the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Skin Wade. Skin, the Mavs have played 10 games. You're a 10. It's only fitting that we're recording today. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I feel good. There's a lot of things to like about the way things are going and a lot of things still to clean up. And we will really see where we're at on Wednesday is that is a fun Chicago Bulls team that's right around the corner. So there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. Yeah, Chicago just thumped. Who did they play the other night? They beat them by like 25. Uh, so they beat the Nets pretty handily last night. That's right, last night. night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, the they're tough to beat in that building, man. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a really tough I, game. So I loved their offseason moves, and I thought, okay, this is gonna, they're going to put on an offensive show, but defensively they're going to really struggle. Bro, they're top five in the league defensively. That is – that's a really fun NBA story, and I, I'm a, I'm really looking forward to that game. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. Luke is going to have to put in the work that night. But, uh, okay, so what you said in the intro, this is unintentional uh, unintentional topic, Skin, is uh, they've won some games, but there's plenty of stuff to clean up. And I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind when talking about this thing so far is the Mavs are 7-3. and three. Okay, really good. Um, they have still like a bottom 10 point differential, I think, because of, of how nasty it got in Denver and Atlanta and against right. Miami. Um, you know, last night they won by 16, kind of a deceptive final score. And, you know, they just came off two basically buzzer beating wins against San Antonio and Boston, two teams with losing records. So on the one hand, you know, it's kind of natural to feel like, I mean, I don't know if the, you, you are what you are, but like, I mean, we see what those teams are and the Mavs are barely beating them. But on the other, it's like, well, man, all the wins count the same at the end of the year. Throw them in the bank now and get better later. So it's kind of like, where where do you stand on that on that scale? Well, uh, I think all those uh, valuations are fair. To me, the Boston game was very much, hey, boys, pull your head out of your ass. Uh, because they knew that Boston was way undermanned. And they played like, we've got this. And they had to do something miraculous to win it. And that's not good. You don't want to do that stuff. But, uh, you know, to kind of try to put that picture further in the frame, did you, you saw the two games Boston played defensively going into that game against Miami and Toronto, they put up defensive gems after Marcus Smart called everybody out. So there's, there's a lot to take out of that. Uh, last night uh, against New Orleans was a clear example of the Mavs playing with their food. And so while you say, uh, you know, they, uh, while you say the score was deceptive, I don't know that it was. I think because, deceptive as in, like, it wasn't really a 16-point win. Like, well, it was kind of a little close there. No, 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 that, that's where I'm going with this. Okay. I think it actually was a 16-point win. It got close because I remember when KP and Luca and all those guys checked back in, I was like, oh, why are they doing that? And then when you saw the way that they went out and played – Dude, they were out there like going through the motions. I I didn't say it on the broadcast, but I said it in the headset to our, our crew and harp and followers. Like, this is way too casual. 
And then you look up and suddenly there's what, like a 13-0 run or whatever. Like you could just tell with their body language, they were out there to spin the ball on their finger and, you know, wave to the crowd. And you can't do that in the NBA. I don't care what your opponent is. They're all pros. And so that actually was a 16-point win. It just there was an eight-minute stretch there where they, you know, they checked out. And you can't have that. I'm, I'm, that that's bad. That will come back to bite you. And so I look at it and go, regardless, I'd rather be the Mavs seven and three than the Hawks four and seven or whatever they are as they try to figure out like this, this next stretch of games where you play the Bulls and then you get to play Denver and not have to play them on a back to back. And then you have four games with the Suns and the Clippers. That's going to be a great determination as to what this team is. I would much rather be seven and three while playing poorly uh, than the alternative. Yeah. So, and, and well, and, you know, if you're seven and three now, you go into that six game stretch, let's say you go two and four. Well, I mean, you're still above 500, you know? Yeah. And the, the thing with the Mavs last year was that they would beat the good teams. So, like, last year's Mavs would go into the six game stretch and go like five and one, and then they'd turn around and lose to the Spurs twice, you know? Right. Or like play the Kings for a week straight and, and not get a single win. So, it's kind of one of those things where, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, uh, it's tough, but Atlanta's going through it. I mean, heck, even Denver was going through it. Uh, mm-hmm. Phoenix started off one and three. They're looking like world beaters now. But, I mean, you have a bunch of kind of sleeping giants around the league just sort of trying to figure it out in the early goings. And I think um, – Look at the Lakers. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if they're figuring it out or if they just are that. But uh, we have very different opinions on on the Lakers for sure. Yes. One of us will feel very vindicated at the end of the year, and the other <laughs> will uh, will not admit that we're wrong. Uh, what what do you what do you think of of the season that we've had from Lucas so far like we've we've seen the highest of highs buzzer beaters and you know he's had some 30 point games and I I think he's had a triple double but he's had a bunch that are near like yeah he's putting up games where it's like man okay and then like last night he somehow ends up a 25 uh the first Spurs game I think he somehow ended up with 27 but like the first half was just sort of like all right I mean what is going on here uh it it feels almost like he's maybe just trying to conserve it a little bit I mean I I don't really know I don't really know what to say about about what we've seen from him so far because he's still very good but he's just not like it's almost like can you get to there instead yeah, uh, and maybe part of that, Bobby, has to do, if you kind of look at his t- uh, career trajectory so far, is getting up for the big games. Like a good example is last night, uh, we looked up, and there's, I don't know, five or six minutes left in the first half, and I think I said it on air. I was like, man, no, 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 dude, there was two minutes to go in the half. And I remember saying to follow up, I can't remember the last time I looked up in a half and Luca had seven, one and two. And then he just went on this big, quick offensive flurry and got his points up. It's like, I, I don't say this to be disrespectful to any other team. And I respect anybody that ever plays in the NBA in terms of their ability and how far they had to go to get there. But I, I don't think Luca got up for that. And I think some of these games Luca hasn't gotten up for. And I love the way he played, for example, in the first half against Miami. Uh, Miami just caught him because the Mavs were undermanned and Miami's really, really good. Um, 
he was terrible against Denver, for example, on the second night of a back-to-back and his frustration spilled out. And that was about as poor as I've seen him play for an entire game in a really long time. Uh, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not concerned or anything like that. Um, I'll be concerned if Chicago shuts him down. Right. I'll be, I'll be concerned as, and also, you know, it's easier on Luca when other guys are playing well. And so having Jalen Brunson, I know there's a lot of really good uh, local Mavs media chatter right now about Luca trusting in Brunson and, I'm super encouraged by what I've seen in Port from Porzingis in these two games and all of this, you know, blends together. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't want it to be that the Mavericks have to win every night because Luca goes for 35, nine and eight, eight or whatever. They, they, they're not going to win past the first round with that sort of a strategy. It doesn't work in the NBA. Other guys have to step up and for that to happen, Luca has to allow other guys to step up as well. So that's the trend that I really want to pay attention to trends like, Hey, Tim Hardaway jr. Got you 17 points on nine shots. Hey, uh, look at the, the plus minus of the bench versus the other team's bench, things like that. Those are, those are the trends that I'm most interested in because as much as it's about Luca, it's ultimately about how far the mass can go. Yeah. I mean, I guess like rewind to last year, Luca is doing the 35, nine and eight bit every single night. And you know, too many guys are in single, single digits basically throughout right. the roster and it's like we'll get Lucas some help and now you got Brunson Hardaway's played well recently like you said Reggie Bullock doubled figures in three of his last four games the one being the game in San Antonio where he only played seven minutes before getting walloped right in the face surprisingly did not miss any games after that yeah. I, and not even wearing a mask like that's one tough cookie in the Absolutely. locker room Reggie Bullock um okay so Brunson man he's been awesome uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you know how the extension rules work, but just in case you don't, Brunson is approaching free agency. There is a maximum number that the Mavs can offer him right now as a contract extension. Uh, it's like four years, 55-ish million dollars, not per year, that's total, uh, which is well below probably what his market value is right now. And now we can't you know, spec even really speculate on what he's worth. Uh, I guess we'll let the market dictate that here in a few months. I think it's kind of a dumb rule honestly that's in place i don't understand why the nba artificially puts maxes on what guys can get in as an extension if they're second round picks but that's a conversation for another day regardless brunson is approaching unrestricted free agency he's in contract year mode he's playing great and the mavs play very well whenever he's on the floor whether or not luke is on the floor but Luca's on-offs this year are way better whenever Brunson is on the floor. And, you know, the previous regime was able to figure out a way to maximize the Mavs' productivity, especially on offense, whenever Luca was the only ball handler. It was literally, I mean, it was legitimately the Luca show for like two years. Right. This year, they've been way better when it's Luca and Brunson. And so, is that the roadmap, those two specifically, or does this kind of reinforce that like you can just drop any talented shot creator in here and it'll work? Like what what is the future of Luca and guard sidekick? It, you know, whether or not it is or isn't Jalen Brunson, uh, you know, I think you and I, I know Harp. There's a lot of people that believe in Brunson. Dude, Harp uh, was having so much fun on that Spurs call the other day whenever Brunson just went off. Like it, that's his guy. Yeah. I mean, dude, was, that is so his great. guy. And and so uh I don't want to really comment on that per se, is to comment on uh 
you're not going to win in the NBA with one guy doing it all. You're not. I mean, you can win, but you're not going to win the way fans want you to win uh, because it's just too much of a burden to carry. And so whoever that secondary guy and then uh, a third competent guy, whoever that is, uh, they will be able, if they're, if they're good, they will be able to thrive playing with Luca. And I think what a lot of this is about, a lot of it is about mentality and, and guys generally don't learn that mentality until they've been in the league for a while. It's usually helpful when a guy gets his, you know, big contract, right? So you have that hurdle out of the way, but more than anything, that's what Jason Kidd being here is about is about how to teach Luca that other level of knowledge that only a few people walking the earth have because they've been that and Luca has to learn I mean I remember our fan base all losing their minds because Donnie Nelson in an exit interview said the word for word everything that I've heard every other basketball person that I talked to about Luca on or off record says, Hey, this guy's incredible and getting him help does not diminish his excellence. There's a reason superstars form super teams because they know how effing hard it is. And so part of that process is for Luca to understand that as well. And he's got to recognize when to take the burden off of himself. Like when we talk about these all time greats, Dude, Magic Johnson came into the league playing with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Larry Bird came into the league with Kevin McHale. And, I mean, they those guys, universally regarded as two of the ten greatest ever, never had to do it by themselves ever at any point in their NBA career. And so, like, a guy like James Harden, for example, when they started bringing in, all right, here's Chris Paul and here's – he had to learn how to acquiesce. And if you go, and he's way further along in his career than Luca was at that point, and more accomplished at, at this and level, and more accomplished. And go back and look at what happened with him and Chris Paul. It blew up because they were taking turns, and that's not what it's about either. And so, all, for for fans to expect some twenty two year old kid from another country to come into the league understanding all of this is patently absurd. It's crazy talk, and so he has to learn how to be a part of all of that while still being far and away the greatest player on the team and a franchise changing player. And so all of this is, I'm not being Jason Garrett. It's a process. And that's why Jason Kidd is here because Jason Kidd has been through the process. He's been through the process and watch it fail, not live up to its expectations with the nets. And then he forced his way to be with Dirk because he knew it would work with Dirk. And guess what, everybody, it did. There's, that's what this is. All of this is about. You have the toughest thing to get in sports, especially the NBA, a franchise changing player. And now they've brought in another franchise changing player as a coach to help him see the whole road faster than, than you can imagine. That's what all of this is about. And it doesn't diminish Luca or upset him or any of this crazy crap talk that is going on. That's not the way this league works. And so when when you have a game where Jalen's balling out and Luca's like, take it, that's a sign of growth. 
that's what you want. And that's what Donnie Nelson was saying in the exit interview. And everyone thought, oh, my God, he's going to demand a trade. No, that's not what this is, man. Yeah, it wasn't really a critique as much as it is like you're trying to get him kind of to recognize the the symbiotic benefits of sharing the ball a little bit at key moments of the game. Because not only is it like empowering your teammates, right? Um, Jalen Brunson's having the game of his life. He's having the time of his life out there on Monday Night Football against the Spurs. And Luca, <laughs> Luca's letting him win the game in the yes. fourth quarter. He's allowing him to do that. And Luca's exercising like the restraint, you know, uh, because we've seen, we've literally seen it with our own eyes, what happens when, especially during Luca's rookie year, when the shot to win the game would go to Harrison Barnes or to Dennis uh, or to KP or to literally anybody else, Luca would would let Rick know, <laughs> you know, yeah. that uh, yeah. that he really wanted the ball there, buddy. And you know that has not been the case so far this year. Now it certainly is helping that they're winning games, and that is another sort of underlying benefit, I think, of starting seven and three. It's been pretty ugly out there at times. Uh, the oh, yeah. offense has looked a little janky. The defense yeah. has had a lot of lapses, and they've gotten smoked a few a few times already. Pretty good. But uh, while they're learning all this new stuff from this new coach and this new staff and this new everything, like new mentality, new whole regime, um, it's a lot easier to make adjustments and to make sacrifices whenever you're seven and three as opposed to four and six. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and so just take them however you can get them. But uh, that's a very long-winded way of ending up right back where we started, which is, like, if Luka trusts Brunson, that is that to me is almost more important than, like, what Brunson's field goal percentage is, you know? Right. And I know that this is, like, real Hooper talk. Uh, if Brunson goes, like, 3 for 14, then he's not going to get the ball from Luka. But, like, yeah. the fact that Brunson was 7 for 9 or 8 for 10 or whatever, and Luka was still giving him the ball, like, he's recognizing, like, all right, I'm going to ride the hot hand here. You know, and I can only assume if Tim Hardaway is riding a heater this season, Luca's gonna lean on him. And if KP's really got it going on, Luca's gonna go to KP. And that kind of mutual sort of empowerment and from Luca's perspective, ability to conserve energy through eighty two games is super duper important because it's gonna turn from the Luca show into like the Mav show. Yeah, dude, uh I agree with everything you're saying and you know, Luca has those instincts already of wanting to share. You know, that's kind of, it's kind of like the, the Magic Johnson thing. He's got those instincts already of wanting to make the right basketball play. And so it's just furthering the, the foundation of all that. The greatest player of all time was in his Dirk late. Dirk Nowitzki. The second greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan, was in his late 20s. And they still had to convince him to throw it to the wide open guy. Like, that's a thing. You know, when you're alpha and you're, I'm going to get this done. Well, Mike, you tried it to do it and you kept getting your ass kicked. And when you finally, you can still beat everybody to a pulp and make the right play and win. And, it, and all of that is a process. And right now, Luca's way ahead of the curve. This is about expediting that curve. And the Mavericks need to continually upgrade their talent. Everybody knows that. Uh, you know, that's the mantra of the league. It's a talent upgrade business. But there's some really good tools here already to where the Mavericks can win a whole ton of games. And right now, I feel like 
the culture is headed in the right direction. And while we've seen a lot of glaring mistakes and problematic stretches, they're winning during that, which is a key component to all of this. All right. So I want to talk about the city edition uh, launch party the other night, speaking of culture yeah. and all that. But before we do that, I want to uh, read this ad. Just kidding. Uh, Skin, I want to uh, ask, um, we've been talking positives, obviously, but I want to balance out the scale a little bit. What is one of the things that's not going great that you're like, come on, guys, like figure this out? Uh, we need a better uh, role component consistently on offense, and we need a better interior defensive presence consistently. Like, if if New Orleans had, I don't know, one more player last night or two more players, the Valanchunas problem is exacerbated. I mean, I went into that game going, oh, my God, he's going to get 45 rebounds. <laughs> um and then, you know, when you, when you got a guy like that that gets a lot of offensive rebounds, a lot of times that turns into wide-open three-point looks, which, man, that can cause you a lot of problems in a hurry. So uh, they have to uh, definitely against teams that have, you know, bigger presence inside, they've got to, like, tag team crash the boards, concerted effort. And that's why Porzingis makes a difference. I think, you know, the thing that I've noticed in the last two games is just having that additional presence on defense matters. Uh, that's huge. So I do worry about uh, the team's defensive interior. Um, and I do, uh, you know, think it would be nice to have a, you know, one of those consistently awesome lob lab presence. Uh, you know, Dwight Powell was certainly that pre-Achilles and, you know, he's been good and he sets really, really great screens. But, uh, you know, and sometimes Willie kind of shows flashes of being that, but, you know, not not consistently. And so teams that have a guy like Luca, you know, you've got a guy that can flush every time around the rim, whether it's a Capella John Collins type situation or whatever. That's something that if that could, you know, form more consistently, oh, my God, this offense would really be humming. I think the big issue with that is like we're seeing more this year. I mean, I I know the rules are different and the ball is different and everything, but I I think a big reason why offense is down is because teams are just doing more stuff on defense. And it's to the point now, man, where like I don't think a single team the Mavs have played this year, with the exception of maybe the Spurs, has consistently given the roll man like an alleyway to the rim. I mean, they're just completely disregarding Dwight and Willie when they're on the floor to the point where it's basically like, it's almost better if they just stay on the perimeter, even though Luca's gonna be double teamed, like just to give Luca a little more room. Um, yeah. It's it's really tough. I mean, it's trending in the direction to where like within the next five years, I don't know if if you can't shoot threes, like I don't know what your future looks like in the, in right. the league. I mean, it's right. it's really tough because, um, you know, I and, and I know that like Dwight bears the, Dwight bears the brunt of the the frustration, you know, watching the offense kind of sputter at times. I mean, it's more of what he represents, I think, on the floor um, that it should be the source of the frustration than like him specifically. But the internet, you know, this is the internet that we're talking about. But, um, you know, when the Mavs went KP at the five last night, there's a whole lot more space because the Pelicans were still doing the same thing to KP that they were doing to Dwight because you don't want Valanchunas on the perimeter chasing around these big guys, right? Like you want him right. near the basket. 
And so Luke is able to draw two guys or Brunson's able to draw two guys, kick it out to KP who's wide open or kick it out, swing, swing, open shot. I mean, it's no surprise the map shot 40% from three last night. Like they were all open the whole game. Um, right. Whenever you have a roll man out there, you know, if the defense is going to defend you the way the Kings did or the way the Spurs did, Roman's going to get a bunch of dunks. If they defend the way that the Nuggets do or the Pelicans do or a lot of other teams do where they're just parking their big at the rim, it's going to get a little clogged. Um, so I, I, I don't know what the I don't know what the trade-off is. I mean, ideally, you'd be able to fuse Dwight and Willie together or fuse Dwight and KP together uh, and have a, a five who can shoot and roll all the time. Um, and KP would have the beef, you know, on the other end to contend with a guy like Valanciunas. We saw them play KP at the five in the first half, and he got three fouls immediately, you know? Yeah, if, if, if you put a guy like, you know, with KP, the way he's built, it's and Willie's built similarly, it's always about base. And those guys that are built like that do not have the base to contend with noted world champ strongman Valanchunas, who, well, you know, when he walks out on the court, he has to set the refriger giant refrigerator he's carrying <laughs> down so he can check into the game. Those guys are just going to beat you up on your base. And, you know, trying to get the leverage to fight back puts you off balance. And once you're off balance, you tend to foul. Uh, and so those are just, all right, well, can we beat it the other way by just have the other guy, you know, draining threes and you run balance. The, the way, same way teams run Boban off the floor. Yeah. Why didn't Boban play more? Why didn't he play more? Well, you know, it's uh, you're giving up a lot defensively in certain matchups. And he's got to be so brilliant offensively to, to offset that. Those are decisions that teams have to make. That's why Boban will go down as one of the greatest per 36 players ever uh, because he's used in all the right scenarios. Uh, but if you have a guy that's going to get 38 minutes a night, it can't be about certain scenarios. It's got to be about how do you fit into the NBA game. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a big existential question, I think, league-wide. What is the future of the Roman? Uh, I think we're seeing right now it's looking kind of bleak, you know. But at the same time, KP at the five all the time, like, I know that I would love to see it, but I also know that there's a lot of guys like Valanciunas still in the NBA, and I don't want sure. KP guarding those guys for 82 games. I just don't want it because he's either going to get in foul trouble or he's going to get hurt, you know. I, I would – I, I – just instinctively without even putting thought into it. When I look out there and I see KP covering Josh Hart, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And then when I see KP covering Valanciunas, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude. Isn't it? It's funny how things change, you know? Yeah. Uh, like five years ago, it'd be like, what are they doing? Right. Just a foot shorter than you. Right. I mean, KP's best defensive plays against Boston were against Marcus Smart and Dennis Schroeder, you know, mm -hmm. not Al Horford. Uh, so right. it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, okay. So before we get out of here, Skin, uh, if you were at the game this past weekend against the Celtics, against those feisty Boston Celtics, hopefully you were able to make it to the pregame event on the plaza. Uh, we launched our City Edition jerseys, which, of course, is the mixtape edition, incorporating elements of jerseys worn during six key moments in Mavs history, those being uh, Moody Madness, 1984, uh, Mavs beating the Jazz in 2001, Mavs beating the Thunder in 2011, then beating the Heat in 2011, Dirk scoring 30,000 career points, and the symbolic passing of the torch to Luka. So the jersey's really cool. Um, some teams took the word mixtape as like, a, you know, let's mix versions of previous jerseys into this one, kind of like we did. Mm -hmm. But then we also kind of took it, uh, you and Mike specifically, Mike Marshall, uh, took it a little, a little more literally too, like, 
let's what what about actual mixtapes like what's if if we're making the history of the jersey and the history of the mavericks what about the history of the mixtape especially in dallas and kind of dallas's connection uh to hip-hop and, and and to rap culture which is something that really our organization has rarely ever explored before um despite there being such a rich history of of music and hip-hop in dallas and so uh, if you saw the launch video, the morning of the game that we released on Twitter, it's on our YouTube channel and on Instagram and everything. Uh, there's this really, really, really awesome um, video that we made, which included three uh, local hip hop, basically legends from Dallas. Those being the DOC, Big Tuck and Bobby Sessions and um, Skin. You have really good relationships with all of those guys and you hosted a Q&A roundtable uh, with them and DJ Poison Ivy at the end of that pregame event. Um, on Saturday night too. And so uh, could you give, uh, for those who don't know or for the uninitiated, could you give a quick history lesson on who those three guys are, what they mean to the music scene and music community in Dallas and, and what, what, it, what it was like to work with them for this? Yeah, uh, so specifically, first of all, I want to give like, I don't, you know, thank you for saying what you said, but this is Mike Marshall's baby. And what I want to do anything I can to give Mike as little credit as possible. That's important. <laughs> well, I love the initiative he took on this. And so uh, he had called me to ask my opinion because that's a really smart thing to do is let's ask an old guy what his opinion is because he might remember the stuff from before I was born. And so, you know, the mixtape, the history of the mixtape is really interesting. And I used to write a music column, a hip hop music column. And when I was writing that column, the concept of the mixtape changed quite a bit. And uh, it's almost like the history of music, like you'll hear people talk about music, the idea of quote unquote master recordings. Well, the reason you have that is you used to go into the studio and record to reel to reel tape. And then that tape was the master recording. And if you went and recorded it another day, you would record it on other tape and that would be a new master recording. Well, the concept just like that's changed because of the digital age, the concept of the mixtape changed. The mixtape used to be a DJ uh, that had uh, a crossfader and two turntables, or even earlier than that, some guys that didn't have gear would use a dual cassette player and make what we call pause tapes um, to where you would play something, then pause it and then rewind it back. And then you would create these beds doing it that way. But it's, it's all about like how that thing changed over time. And so Mike was like, we have these moments that happen over time. What if we could tie that to the evolution of the mixtape? And so the heyday of me doing my music writing was the heyday of DSR and George Lopez was running that whole thing. And big tuck was one of his artists. And so back then what they were calling mixtapes were really just underground studio recordings that they would sell in mom and pop shops. And so the mixtape had evolved from, Hey, I'm making a tape of all my favorite songs and the DJ is going to blend it together or scratch it together or whatever. Um, had evolved to what DSR and those guys were doing. And then Bobby Sessions, who already has uh, ties to the Mavericks because he opened up, for example, for Ludacris when we had that big Ludacris concert. And I think that was 2015. I don't 100% recall the year. And yeah, that was, that was a while ago now. But It was a while ago now. Yeah. Um, but anyway. His career's taken off like a rocket ship since then. But I mean, he's won a Grammy. Like he's yeah. like legit like. He's a beast. And, yeah. and the cool thing is you called uh, these guys legends. DOC is a legend. Big Tuck's a local legend. Well, Bobby Sessions calls himself young legend, and he is. So we also had the legends represented. But 
I was telling Mike, I felt like DOC would be a good representative of the origin of the mixtape from a Dallas perspective. And then to me, the DSR guys, and you know, you could have had Tom Tom out there, but uh, you know, I just, I, I love everything about how big tuck represents the city and the way the dude carries himself. That's not to say I don't love the way anybody else does, but he just, he's that dude. Uh, and he showed up with that really cool map chain, awesome. you know, he was so into it. And then, uh, you know, I knew Bobby Sessions would be down. So all I really did was I just helped Mike make the connections to those guys and him and the Mavs crew, Steph Revis and everybody, they ran with it. Um, all I did was help Mike, you know, formulate what he already had in place. Uh, so I'm, I, as someone who's been, feel like I've been ensconced in this Dallas rap scene for, you know, 75% of my life. I had enormous pride that the basketball team that employs me that I love embraced that concept and embraced our music community. Uh, because, you know, we've talked about this. I'm just so big into desegregating all of this, you know, our arts community, our sports community, uh, the pockets of where races live in this vast metroplex. I'm just all about desegregating all of that. And so I loved the the gesture i love the execution i love the jersey i love the buy-in from doc and and tuck and bobby and if i didn't say this enough if you don't know the doc is a legend he is a legend if jay-z is dropping your name in one of his rhymes like he did on a public service announcement you are a legend he wrote for snoop dogg his only record was i think it was, i know it's platinum it might have been double platinum the man is a legend from the West Dallas projects, he is a legend. And so for him to be involved, dude, when I walked up and saw him in deep conversation with Rolando Blackman, I damn near lost my mind. So kudos to Do everyone. You know, like, were he and Roe tight? I mean, by then, I guess he'd probably already moved out to LA by the time Roe was like, by the time Roe was Roe. But like Big Tuck was, Big Tuck was hanging out with Josh Howard and Marquis Daniels, you know, so there was like a yes. connection there, but like, yes, but with, with DOC, I mean, was, was he like around the Mavs at all? Or was he, was he gone? No, I, I think he was gone. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, uh, Doc really to his benefit uh, claimed the West coast. Mm. And like, if you look at the cover of no one can do it better, he's in Raiders gear and he's okay, standing yeah. in front of the Jesus statue in LA. And I think everyone thought he was from, the West coast, but there's some unique NWA Dallas ties. Jeff Lyles, who uh, legendarily booked Nirvana at the bomb factory. If you've ever read about that story, he runs the Kessler theater right now. He uh, had this band decadent dub team that was on the color soundtrack. He's an OG Dallas music legend. He's the first guy to play NWA uh, on the radio outside of LA and actually was on Cano N and he played the cuss word version and got taken off the air. Uh, so, but uh, Tracy Curry is the DOC's name. That goes back to Dr. Dre having some Dallas ties in the late 80s. Um, actually, that would have been more mid 80s, and that's what all of that was about. Yeah, dude, that's great. Every time I talk to you, I get smarter, learn more. No, you don't. Yeah, no, I do. I do. Um, well, that was good stuff, man. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Like I said, that video is out now, and so if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's on at Dallas it. Mavs. It's on our YouTube channel. It's everywhere. It's really really cool, and um, hopefully, it's like the beginning of a more 
just like like a bridge built you know because like I, like i was saying before i mean i've only been around here for six seven eight years now and so it's not like i'm the foremost authority or something but it's almost like for a very long time like this organization didn't really acknowledge that like the hip-hop community existed or that like oak cliff at all existed in general and anything right. south of the arena didn't really exist right. and so right uh, you know it's but it's obviously a new era in our company's history um and hopefully like this project is kind of you know another another building block in that in that relationship i don't want to let the mavs off the hook for that they should have been way more involved for decades but uh if you ask the local musicians they don't get the support from mainstream radio that other cities give their artists so quite frankly it's a citywide problem it's a cultural problem it's not just the mavericks problem the mavericks are part of the problem but they're making strides to change that and man we have this really amazing uh beautiful soul talented unifier in poison ivy you talk about somebody that can do a little bit of everything. Uh, she's one of those people that can pull different aspects of the community together because of her wide uh, array of talents. Uh, so she's a really great, uh, you know, weapon has a negative connotation, but she's a really great force in that process of pulling the arts and sports community and the civic community together. A force for good. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well said. Well said. Um, all right. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, to say or add or any other takes to fire off before we get out of here for this week? No, man. I, I think the next time we talk, we're, I think we're going to have a really more formalized version of what this Maverick team is really starting to look like. We know what the holes are. We know what we've seen. Um, but I, I can't wait to see what this Maverick team looks like against uh, Chicago. And I love that they're getting healthier and playing better as they go into that game. Yeah, get well soon, Maxi. By the way, we we didn't oh, say yeah. that. Um, and the next time we talk skin on this show, not in real life, but the next time we talk on this show is gonna be episode 100 oh, of wow. Numbers on the Boards. Oh my God, can you believe it? We did it. I, we made it. Uh, about 20 episodes per season. Uh, we're, we got a, we got a whole lot more coming this year, but a uh, hundred episodes. So we're gonna try and do something cool. We just have to think about what it is. That we're gonna do so we got we got to think of the cool thing but we are gonna do a cool thing to celebrate uh that big milestone so i'm really looking forward to that i am too man uh we'll brainstorm and uh and drop something I well there we go all right thank you all for listening wherever you listen be sure to subscribe or follow or whatever on your favorite podcast platform if you're watching on youtube you're a real legend and uh he is skin i'm bobby this is numbers on the boards and we'll see you next time see you.